and, and we're back. We're back. Again, more still, long time. Yeah, we should really bring someone else on here for fun. I mean, not that I don't have fun with you. But, we have a lot of experts around here. <laughs> well, I just, our intro is weak because it's just us. I know, but now you've heard my feelers. He'll get, he'll get over it. I don't know. I'm pretty fragile. <laughs> I, it takes a lot to hurt your feelings, I think. <laughs> Welcome to the Round Barn. It's, yeah, it's us. It's again. It's us again. What are we talking about today? Oh, I, so I think we've kind of touched on gene editing before. Okay. At different points, yeah. but it just keeps coming back. It's the thing. In the news. It's the thing. Yeah. It's not going to go away, which is great. Yeah, it's going to get better. Yeah. There's a lot of confusion out there. The animal livestock groups are pretty optimistic right now with some different resistant animals, BVD, PERS-resistant pigs, and some promises and optimism that the industries have about having um, specific disease-resistant animals. But it's, it's tricky. We're in a tricky spot. Science is advancing faster than human acceptance. In many ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, and gene editing is one of those things. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk just two seconds about gene editing. Let's. So it's gotten commingled with the idea of genetically modified organisms. Yes. So GMOs are best on really only on the crop side at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in GMO, we insert genes from another species mm-hmm. into that organism. So we take corn and we stick a Bacillus variegensis, which is a bacteria gene into it. So it produces a toxin to kill corn rootworms. Mm-hmm. Or we stick a gene in that prevents... Um, Induces tolerance to glycophosphate or Roundup. Liberty, Roundup or yeah. Liberty or, or, right. or to right, uh, you know. And so we've done all these things and, and that's was really done quite crudely. So they literally just threw new genes into cell mixes and physically beat it into the yeah. genome. And it didn't work. It wasn't very efficient, but they could do it. So that was kind of gene modification 101 or mm-hmm. one. <laughs> And we're kind of phase about 10 now, like we've moved fairly quickly. So it's all based on this idea of CRISPR and a particular bit of CRISPR, which is Cas9. So it's an acronym. Now you move to the gene editing. Part. That's gene editing. And yep. so, well, you can gene insert with it as well. But okay. it's, so we're at the CRISPR stage of life. And, and everyone has heard about CRISPR, but may not know exactly what it is. So CRISPR is a set of enzymes that we can mix with DNA and it will go along based upon where you target it at. Mm-hmm. So you put a little tag on there and you say, hey, go find this spot in the genome. And it goes along and it makes a cut. Mm-hmm. And so you use a set of those tags to cut out uh, pieces. And then there's another bit you can actually use to s- insert stuff in. But yep. it's the same approach. So this is bog standard cellular biology today. Like so this- what are we cutting? Cutting DNA. So we're cutting nucleic acids and we can insert nucleic acids or we can just cut pieces out. Mm -hmm. And this happens like every day of the week at every university that does any biological research today. Mm -hmm. This is like even I can do it, though. Um, I'm terrible in the lab. But I mean, I mean, it's just it's 
I don't want to say it's a recipe. Now, designing what you're doing is pretty challenging. Okay. Understanding why you're doing it and what you're targeting and all the bits. But the actual genetic surgery, for lack of a better word, sticking the knife in there is like cooking. Let's let's clear up with the audience that you have a lab at the college, but you definitely don't run your own lab. For a thousand reasons. Yeah. Dr. Uh, Storms. She yeah. is the gatekeeper of... Yes, we have to. We have someone who knows what. Yeah, we don't want to offend anyone. Tape on the floor. Do not cross. Yeah, don't go in there because I don't know what I'm doing. But, (laughs) um, so it's not like so. That's so. What CRISPR lets us do is actually cut out bits of the genome, and that's really Mm -hmm. been the way we've done a lot of this. And so it's being used everywhere, including human medicine today. Mm -hmm. Um, but we've now decided we're going to stick it in animal medicine. Yeah, and we're always late to the party, but. Because of cost. Mm-hmm. But so I think we've talked about the PERS genetic pig, resistant pig before. So basically, mm-hmm. when we think about a virus, it has so a virus is a bit of genetic material, RNA or DNA. It can't replicate on its own. It has to get into a cell to replicate. To do that, it needs what we call a receptor on the surface. Mm-hmm. So it has to have a little lock and it ha- it's the key that sticks into right. that. And it gets sucked inside the cell. And in the case of many of these viruses, they have to cross not just a cell membrane, but probably the nuclear membrane as well. They have to get into things to yeah. do replication. And so what they figured out with PERS virus was there was one particular receptor that was really critical uh, for replication of the virus. And they just took it out, went in mm-hmm. there, and they didn't take it all out. It's a quite big protein. And they just went out, right? So DNA makes protein. Yep. So the receptor is actually protein, but it's encoded by DNA. And so, and the basis of all biology is DNA is transcribed to protein via messenger RNA. This so is a lot like, of science for us. I know, but it's DNA, the, the, the record of what yep. should be. The messenger to take it from DNA to protein is this stuff called messenger RNA, mm-hmm. mRNA. We've heard about that with COVID vaccine. Oh, yeah. That's the messenger. And then there's some enzymes that take that code and make it into protein. Yep. So... mRNA is a copy of the DNA, Mm -hmm. but one-sided, not two-sided. And so they go in and actually just clip a little bit of the DNA, clip the library. Mm -hmm. And then when the mRNA comes along, it doesn't work. Yeah. Or it comes along and it makes a bit of protein that doesn't have the right pieces. So it's folded differently. It doesn't work, et cetera. So with very, very small amounts of removal, we can change the function of a protein. Right. This is actually how all of biology works. When we talk about um, mutations or we talk about uh, changes that occur over time, it's the same mechanism. Mm-hmm. You're losing or adding little bits. You're just not mechanically doing it. You're in not targeting, setting. not targeting. So when we do natural selection in animals, we are selecting for specific changes in that DNA. Mm-hmm. specific different bits of our of DNA. And so we say, oh, we like that one and not this one. And so we take that version. Yep. Take that. We pick this library, not that library. And so what we're saying is, ah, instead of waiting for the right library to occur, we'll just stick a, we'll just stick a knife in there and cut out the bit mm-hmm. we don't like. And those things occur naturally. We're speeding up what would occur naturally. So we know, like in the case of PERS, there are some pigs that already had this mutation. Okay. Resistant. Naturally, naturally yeah. resistant. Unfortunately, it is so rare that it's not economically or population-wise right. useful. And to be able to go find them, yeah, to find them, and, and, yeah. and right, it's such a low frequency and that's, gene. That's the same thing. Like some people 
just never get the chicken pox. Unvaccinated, exposed. Completely resistant. They just they have they have, they have a bit of a broken protein yep. that doesn't let that chicken pox get in there. Mm-hmm. So we just created the broken protein is really right. what we did. And so they've done that for PERS and that's getting closer to like persine respiratory mm-hmm. We've now done it for BVD or bovine viral diarrhea a virus in mm-hmm. cattle. Uh, and so those are examples where I went in and just took a knife and cut it out. Mm-hmm. And these things have like huge potential to improve animal welfare. Yeah. Two of the biggest drags on animal, well, we think the biggest drag on animal welfare is often disease. Mm-hmm. And we can take away probably the most significant disease in pigs and probably the most significant disease in cattle. Yeah. You just snapped. Why aren't we doing it? Um, well, we're not this quite a loaded as, question. For two reasons. Okay. One, we're not as clever as we'd like to be. <laughs> So I said this is really easy and it's really easy to do the bit, but to get it exactly right and clip exactly the right bit and know you've only clipped the right bit, it's actually not a minor problem. Mm -hmm. So doing it is hard. And then we got to convince people that that's safe. Mm -hmm. And this is where science runs into uh, public policy and public perception. Obviously, we're all aware of the controversy surrounding COVID vaccine and the use of mRNA vaccines. Mm-hmm. And that one per- seems pretty straightforward to me. And <laughs> yep. and so here we've run it. We're going to run into another one. Right. And so it's that science public uh, publicly pu- the public accepting science becomes the hard bit. Yep. And to me, the interesting thing is. We are doing this today using CRISPR in a couple of ways for human health that are really exciting. Right. That people haven't asked a lot of questions yet, or maybe they're asking questions, but they're like, ah, oh, it's so bad. I should get on with it. Do you think that they know? Do you think people know that we are close to curing sickle cell? No, I don't this? think people know. I also people think people, so we should not let that hang. Yeah. So we can use CRISPR today to go in and do like a bone marrow transplant. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand all the details. I've just read a bit and this is obviously outside my wheelhouse, but we do bone marrow transplants all the time. So we go take a piece of bone marrow out of you, mm-hmm. put it in the freezer. If you have cancer, go wipe out the cancer cells, wipe out all of your bone marrow yep. and put some fresh back in. Put mm-hmm. your own an, auto, auto, an autogenous transplant of bone marrow back into your body. And it happens all the time. That's a super successful like bing bang boom down the road they do that today and so in that bone marrow are the cells that produce all your red blood cells and all your white blood cells Mm -hmm. the progenitor cells for those so what they do now is actually go in and they can if you have sickle cell which is a known genetic you've got an extra bit of dna in there that makes a funny protein so your cells fold and your red cells fold Mm -hmm. instead of being flat and they don't carry enough oxygen so they um can go in, they being scientists and doctors, can go in and take the progenitor red blood cells and go use CRISPR to edit them, to take out the little bit of bad protein. Mm -hmm. Again, nick, just take a nick, change it. All of a sudden that protein, that gene doesn't work anymore. Yep. Their bone cells are normal. Put them back in. Cured. Cured. Gene editing. And it's interesting. They believe that the reason that people have sickle cell is is that they're actually resistant to malaria. We know they're resistant to malaria. So if you have sickle cell disease, you 
are resistant to malaria. Ah. So we had an evolution, a genetic defect, sickle cell, which yep. actually conferred a competitive advantage in malaria endemic regions millennia ago. Mm-hmm. And now it doesn't confer a competitive advantage because we have other ways to handle malaria. Right. Yeah, I was just thinking through which one came. Well, malaria is right. ancient. Malaria right. was around. There's a lot of malaria selection pressure on people, right? Mm -hmm. So if people were dying, particularly little kids were dying of malaria, which is where most of the death loss is. If you had sickle cell, you didn't die from malaria. Okay. So they were selected for in the population. Mm -hmm. And so now that mutation, which conferred an advantage at one point. Right. Now longer does not confer a competitive advantage. Right. In fact, it's a competitive disadvantage. And so they can fix it. Mm-hmm. And so instead of saying, oh, we shouldn't breed more people that make, this sounds horrible, right? But that's, but that's yeah. in livestock, that's what we think about, right? Instead of saying, oh, we just have to wait for that gene to die out because those people aren't very reproductively successful, which is amoral and, and mean, we can actually go in and fix it. We can yeah. say, hey, sure, no problem. Clip. Huh. And then the other spot in humans where it's being used, and I've got a little visibility to this. We do a little bit of work with a company called McKenna. And- there are several groups that are actually in making kidneys and livers and hearts for people in pigs. Yeah. And so they're going to take, um, they've taken pigs and pig organs don't exist in people because we, we have these things called surface leukocyte engines. So we have these proteins on the surface of our cells that our immune system recognizes as mm -hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And so pigs have a couple, three of antigens, swine leukocyte antigens mm -hmm. that don't match up with human leukocyte antigens. Okay. So when you put a pig organ in a person. Rejects. That's a rejection. So it's immediate rejection. Yep. It's not like, oh, I took Kaylee's kidney and I'm a bad. Some antibiotics or, or I took Kaylee's kidney and I have a minor thing and I can manage that with anti-rejection drugs. Mm -hmm. It's immediate rejection. Okay. Within hours. Really? The immune hmm. system says, huh, uh it's, it, it doesn't know that it's any different than anything else foreign in the body. Okay. And so there's some, a lot of really smart people who went back and figured that out. They're like, mm -hmm. oh, pigs have these and humans have these. And these are really bad for people. Yep. So let's go clip them. Let's go remove them. Mm -hmm. And they figured out where they're at. I mean, it's not, it's simple thing. You say, oh, these four swine or three swine leukocyte antigens are a problem. Mm -hmm. Then they had to figure out where they were at in the genome and what's the bit of DNA. Where's, where are they at in the library? There's yeah. no, right? We don't have a Dewey Devers system to go find them. So then where do we find them and how do we clip them and which bit can we take and which bit can't we take? Then what happens when we take it? Yeah. And what other right. things do we get, et cetera. So they've done this. So there's double and triple knockout picks yep. today. And there was one in the story of Mount Sinai, the group that's done. There are other, we've had this company, I've had the good fortune to work with a bit. They've had them in, in monkeys for years, but monkeys are the right model to test these things in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they reject things very quickly. And okay. so it gives you a lot of, and that's the pre-human studies. And so they're moving to human studies now. And it's, we're, we're not tomorrow, but in five years, we're going to have pig kidneys or pig hearts or pig livers yeah, specifically produced to solve the organ transplant problem. That's awesome. Now, do they, anybody think those kidneys are going to be good for 40 years? No, but most people die of kidney transplants because they're on the waiting list and we don't get them a kidney before they. Yep. So if I can bridge them four or five years. Yeah. 
okay, maybe they maybe we get another technology, right? Absolutely. So here's another example of where CRISPR has been super. So we're tying genomics, understanding where the genome is, which is what this is all based on with this enzyme process. Mm-hmm with some really other clever people thinking about clever problems and saying, Hey, listen, we can solve that. So I think people haven't gotten cranked up about editing pig kidneys to stick in humans. Although there's some fall pushback, which is interesting. <laughs> and they certainly, I don't think have been cranked up about curing sickle cell because like, Oh, that person's suffering. We should do it. Right. And it doesn't infect me. Yep. It's a little NIMBY thing, right? Not in my backyard. Wait a minute. You're editing my food. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. And I and, think- and seeing it as your food instead of an animal that someone manages and cares for in order to become your food before that. Yeah. And people don't want to think about that. Yeah. They, most people don't. Even if they know where their food comes from, they don't want to think about Wilbur. I... I want Wilbur to live through purrs so he can become a pork chop. Yes. I don't want him to die a sad purrs death. Yeah. And so that's his whole thing, right? Like if our job is to be super stewards of our animals under our care and alleviate mm-hmm. suffering, right? The hard bit, and veterinarians don't understand, like all of my patients are going to die. I just want to name the day. Yeah. So what I don't want is an unpredicted mortality. Exactly. And it's not just that that unpredicted mortality is bad economically. That unpredicted is bad for the animal because it probably suffered before right. it died. Not nobody likes to be sick and then die. Yep. And so, how do we? It's a, to me the the CRISPR thing for disease prevention in animals is a huge welfare discussion. Yep. More than it is, it's not an economic. It'll the economic value of PERS elimination in the long term is zero. Mm. Explain that. Commodity market. Okay. If everybody has if it. If everyone has it. If everyone has it. Yep. It's not a competitive advantage. That makes sense. So is the industry more efficient? Yes, the industry is more efficient, but because it's a commodity market, price right. will reserve back to net zero profit, right? right? So there's some short-term economic. It'll be just be built into the genetics of the entire industry. And it'll be built into the, in the pricing the entire yep. industry, right? So we have an advantage today economically when we have more disease because we have fewer supply, price goes up. Mm-hmm. Well, if we have a steady supply, right? If we produce more pigs, price is going to go down. So we'll have to revert, right. blah, blah, blah. So if you just look at market theory, over the long haul, it's not a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. It might be for the consumer because theoretically we produce pork cheaper. Yep. Or beef or whatever. But it's certainly a welfare thing. Yep. And then we've got this other bit in cows, which is nobody's talking about, but it's maybe more exciting. And that's, we can make any cow pulled tomorrow. So I know what pulled this, but just in case. No horns. No horns. And the interesting bit about pole, the pole trait, is it's a dominant gene. So it's not the absence of horns. It's the presence of a gene that prevents horn growth. Okay. So with classic kind of Mendelian, Mendelian genetics, right? We always think about homozygous heterozygous, mm-hmm. and you can be homozygous pole or homozygous horn. Yep. But a heterozygote between those two is always pulled. Okay. It's dominant gene. Yep. So one copy of the gene is enough to suppress horn growth. So unlike disease resistance where we're clipping, we're moving a bit of the genome to make something Sticking horn, we got to stick a little bit in. 
So the good news is Angus cattle are, as a breed, 100% polled. So they have two copies mm-hmm. of the pole gene. And so we've bred black, Angus are black. We bred black cattle across all these other breeds, and mm-hmm. we basically polled up a whole bunch of breeds. So most of the beef breeds today, we can get a polled version of that, partially because we either stuck black in or because there were some naturally occurring mm-hmm. polls. So Herefords have got, had naturally occurring polled animals. The two biggest groups of cattle, two biggest breeds of cattle that are not pulled today are dairy cattle. So okay. Holsteins, Holstein Frisians, and Jerseys. Okay. And that's that's the two dominant dairy breeds. They are both naturally horned. Okay. There are a few animals that are pulled in those breeds. Polling occurred, but it's they're not very productive. Okay. And so, so, so I can guess why you don't want horns, and it's. A, it's an injury risk sort of thing with handling and with the animals toward each other when they're yep. aggressive and yes. getting them hung up on equipment and that kind of thing. So it, it's, it is a, an animal welfare choice that you would not want them to have. And they, none, and none of them have horns today because we disbub them. Yes. We take them off. Yep. So painful for the calf, no matter how we do it. And we do it in dairy cows very, very early. So the horn isn't actually grown into the skull yet. I mean, the horn grows yep. into the frontal sinus in, the, in like the right on your forehead. So mm-hmm. that big sinus right above your eyeballs is where the horn is in a cow. And so it's just a piece of skin when they're born. So if we disbud yep. them, we take the horn right. bud off. But it's still. It's, uncom- it's, it's uncomfortable. I got to either burn it. It's a process. It's a process. Surgical process. Yep. Right. And so I can breed it off of them. Mm-hmm. And so I can take an Angus gene now, a cow gene, and stick it in the Holstein. And tomorrow, all of the offspring in that line are pulled. Huh. And so, and the good news with Holsteins is, is because we use very, very few bulls, it's all artificial insemination. Mm-hmm. I can pull a few genetic animals and put a whole, change the change yeah. the herd over very, very quickly because of the dominance of a few elite animals in that industry. Yeah. So that's really exciting to me. Yeah. And it's not a GMO. It's a cow gene. Yep. I'm just accelerating the selection of that by sticking it in instead of. Right. And another interesting piece to this whole gene editing is it's it's good for the animal, the welfare pieces, animal health improves, but you also get a decrease in antibiotics with a lot of these different disease resistant opportunities which none of us want to be using antibiotics. They cost money and there's withdrawals and all those pieces. So there's some positives there, just better utilizing the resources that we have. Yeah. And less mortality, right? So that there's two big problems with mortality. One is the animal suffered, which is the biggest one. Mm-hmm. But from a sustainability standpoint, that animal consumed a lot of carbon. Oh, yeah. And we didn't eat it. It was unproductive carbon right. consumption. And so lowering mortality or even suffering poor growth, whatever, from disease, not only has a welfare effect, it has a carbon effect. Yep. So it helps move our food chain down a path of using less carbon. Yeah. And no, no, none of us want to talk about that. It's fact. We're going to have to figure that out. Yep. And so, because our customers are going to demand it. Mm-hmm. And so here's a chance for us to do, like, I don't see any L's. There's no L's in this, no losses. Yeah. 
This is all W's. If we can convince everybody we're doing it for the right reasons. And I think that's really the take home. We're not doing this to make money. Right. We're doing this to actually make the system better, make our animals better, make it better on our people. Nobody likes to watch sick animals. And at the end of the day, that makes a more sustainable food system. Yep. So what do you think is going to come first? Is it going to be a solution that humans have to face in human gene editing for acceptance in protein gene editing? Or are we going to be able to push through the message to the consumer that this is the right choice? Uh, I think, trying to read the tea leaves, that we are going to get federal government, FDA, USDA approval for these products. Mm -hmm. There's already some gene edited salmon in the market. And there's strong signals that these products are safe. We haven't added anything in. Science will win the day. And I think if accepted in a, in a regulated format, like it's, it needs to be regulated. We need to talk about it when it shouldn't disclose it. I, I think, as long as food is cheap and safe and we don't have any issues, I think the average consumer fairly quickly says, I really just want cheap and safe. Like, I don't want to stop and think about. They always go back to that. They think that they want the niche brand until it comes down to the ticket at the grocery store. Yeah. And I just think people don't, I mean, even us, I mean, we obviously know where our food comes from. Mm -hmm. You know, like the pork chops we had last night, I know exactly where that pork pig came from, right? I mean, like I know where it was harvested. I picked it up and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I have an intimate knowledge of that. I don't really care. Yeah. I was interested in dinner last night. Mm -hmm. Not Wilbur's story. Didn't care about Wilbur. Right. And so I was hungry and I wanted a nutritious meal. And so I had a pork chop. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really true. I think what we can't have is any big flub ups. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think everybody that's working down that or path. Kerfuffle. Kerfuffles. Those are uh, flub up is different than a kerfuffle. Oh, you would have to look. Yes. Yeah. But we can't have any things that, hey, we were not real transparent about this. Yeah. So we were trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. And and I don't think, you know, Genius is working down that path or Combinetics is working down that path. And they're both pushing pretty hard that I think. They are acutely aware of that. And we could have had these products four years ago mm-hmm. or two years ago or something. Well, we had COVID, right? So it's, it's a drag. But they could have moved much, much faster than what they've moved. Not because they're not capable, because they are dotting every I and crossing every T and making sure yep. we don't have any flub ups. Right. And, and I think once we get that, we'll move much more quickly. But I think this initial one, I think they're doing it the right way. They're just right foot, left foot, and let's dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Yeah. So we'll have to overcome the consumer piece and then the actual productionization or commercialization of these technologies will be another incredible battle. Yeah, I think the challenge, maybe not battle, battle. it'll be it's 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 not a time. Yeah, it's not a minor thing to scale that up. Yeah. That's the challenge. Yep. The scale up will be tough. Yeah. Not impossible, just tough. Just tough. But the need, the demand, I hope science prevails. So 
This was a long one today. We it better wrap this up. We should wrap this up. This is some good stuff, though. I know you didn't talk enough, but that's okay. Well, I, I, yeah, we should video this sometime. I was really into it, and I just looked down. Uh, almost a half an hour. Now, the world needs more Jim Lowe. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thanks for listening. Please subscribe and tell your friends about the Round Barn podcast, available on any of the podcatchers of your choice. In addition to this podcast, we offer a wide range of learning opportunities, including a Master's of Vet Science degree. We're accepting applications for spring of 2024 semester. To learn more about this program, please visit vetmed.illinois.edu slash MVS. Thanks for listening.